Welcome to Wise Health for Women Radio with Linda Prater. Women are pressed daily to give more, learn more, and be more, often at the expense of mind, body, or spirit. Each week with intriguing guests and topics, we'll bring you fresh ways to view your limited time, encouraging a shift to new, healthier perspectives. Wise Health for Women Radio, helping women thrive. And now here's your host, Linda Prater. Welcome to our show this morning. We are very happy that you have joined us today. Today we're going to be talking with Susie Reese on our third show about grief and loss. And in the past we have provided an overview and then the shock of sudden loss. And today's topic is going to be talking about the pain of gradual loss. And by that we mean things like long-term illness, uh, chronic pain, uh, in my case, my mother died of Lou Gehrig's disease or amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, ALS, these long, prolonged periods of loss. And I think we've all known someone who has Alzheimer's. And just think of those types of things in terms of grieving over an extended period of time. And it, it's a slightly different loss, but nonetheless, a deep one. And sometimes it turns into complicated grief, which is a, a, a typical medical term, just meaning that things are not better after 12 months. And we'll talk all about these aspects. But first, Susie, welcome to our third episode. Thank you for having me back. Oh, absolutely right. Um, I find that I've gotten comments that this has been valuable to people in terms of voicing what they think and hear, but that few people talk about. So that was our goal, and I'm glad we are able to do it. I'll start off because I'm in a family situation right now where um, my mother passed away from ALS a long uh, well, it wasn't that long. Um, from diagnosis to death was two years, but symptoms were about four years. We've all had uh, a relative with Alzheimer's or dementia, which is a different kind of fading away. And then there are the more acute illnesses, which strike, such as cancer or a brain tumor. But the treatments go on for a while, all of which means that you have the benefit, if that's the right word, of learning to deal with the impending loss or ultimate loss, but you have no way of knowing when it is. And it's a, it's a funny thing because it's a gradual loss and you may not even notice that you're grieving or in some cases not grieving. Does that make sense? I think so. I think that um, denial is a common mm-hmm. uh, aspect of this for sure. Um, and also just because you have that knowledge ahead of time that something is coming, that doesn't necessarily mean that you've accepted that reality. It, you're absolutely right. And acceptance is is very slow in coming. In fact, with chronic illness, you can sometimes delude yourself that, no, no, this will be the exception to the rule. Um, this person is otherwise healthy. This came out of the blue. We'll manage it. Um, but you'll find also that 
you, you don't always get to manage it. And I think the interesting part about when I was in my 20s and I was losing my mother, we knew it was terminal, but it didn't seem to progress much worse than where we were to begin with. And so you start to carry on with the way things are and you can still communicate. And then the steps come where you can't communicate. I don't know if our audience knows much about Lou Gehrig's disease, but basically you lose your motor skills from the fingertips and the feet out and inward eventually. And you eventually can't speak. You lose all the muscle tone. It, it's a, it's a nerve-wasting disease. But mentally, you're all there. Contrast that with a brain tumor where you've had serious chemotherapy or radiation therapy that causes its own symptoms. And then there's, there's the stages of grief that you think you're going to get better. And why not? Because hope is a wonderful therapy. I think so. I've seen so many instances where just that belief that you can overcome it is enough. Mm -hmm. And I was actually doing some research on resilience uh, recently for some programming and that we're such a control freak type of being. (laughs) Um, And it was so interesting to me to find that that perception of control is actually enough to to adjust our, um, our the way that we respond to trauma mm-hmm. and how we cope with certain situations. And so in some instances, that belief that you can actually allows you to overcome or get through or even heal in ways. Mm-hmm. And yet we take that, that concept of control so far sometimes. But um, I think that that's very true that that when you have hope, you allow for opportunities that might not exist if you just accept it at, at face value. And how many times have we seen those um, oppor- or those instances pop up where, oh, this is your diagnosis, and you know that's all there, that's all you have left. And then years go on, and this person has overcome so many obstacles. I know a woman who I met after she had um, regained full mobility and she'd been told you're never going to walk again. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea when I met her. And it's just amazing to know this, this person who for all, you know, intents and purposes, she looks just like anyone else, but she's gone through so much because she had that hope and that drive to push forward beyond what she was told. And I think that is Admirable. I think it's a, a, as you were talking about, it's a resilience skill and it, it works. In some cases though, the illness is going to take over. And no matter all the hope and stories, you, you have to work through and acknowledge as the steps go on that, okay, uh, I'm taking a step down here. Um, I'm, I'm not recovering. Uh, or my symptoms have now changed, and there are new symptoms. For example, oncology patients, cancer patients who uh, have a metastasis. And these are things where I, I've watched many people, um, the prevalent thing is not so much denial as they go through extreme anger and outbursts. And who can blame them? You know, this doesn't seem fair. You know, but we learned as children that life is not fair. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, I always, I mean, I told my children that from the earliest days, if you think life is fair, let me dissuade you of that (laughs) (laughs) because it's, it's not. Um, but in the case of illness, hope is a wonderful strategy to employ. And so is, um, communicating with others. Although I have also watched that people are not always open to communicating. There's a lot of people who like to keep these illnesses secret um, or do not permit family access. And those kinds of things are really hard because sometimes people do recede. They, they move back and they aren't able to handle uh, the, the new way someone is behaving. Um, but other times people want to help desperately. And they're not permitted in. It becomes a very close, isolated circle. Have you ever experienced that? In some fashion. um, One of my dearest friends in the world, unfortunately, died um, two years ago. And, you know, she had been diagnosed with cancer when she was still in high school. And they actually had to remove one of her eyes. And Mm. this girl was just the epitome of strength. And I adore her. And I hate that it's a terrible story, but she would love for me to tell you, um, (laughs) really got to know her. We were sitting outside and we were all talking and I, um, I had looked off and was saying something and she she goes, I have my eye on you. And I looked and (laughs) on my leg, she had literally taken out her, her eye and put it on my leg. And (laughs) And I just lost it. She just thought it was definitely my people, you know? Right. But we knew, we knew at a very young age that she had all of these complications and, Mm -hmm. you know, she lived in, in sunblock and all of these things. And the doctors told her, do not have children, do not do these things, do not do that, that. And she did everything she wanted to do, no matter what. And I thought I knew that she was taking care of herself in spite of those life choices. Mm -hmm. And I came to find out that she wasn't. And so I'll never know exactly if it was intentionally not letting us know Mm -hmm. because she didn't want to hear us, um, you know, tell her that she was making poor choices. And I understand that stubbornness, but at the same time, it's, set us up for so much loss. And in the hospital, I saw this, I, I don't know that it was an opportunity to understand what was being told to her because she was just so flippant whenever the doctors were essentially saying, you know, you have days left. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though we knew years ago that she had high risk it was still such a shock because, I mean, she was barely 30 years old mm-hmm. and um, her son was going to turn one in a week. So uh, it was just, it was, there was so much more around communication that I think that, that we, we have, that we could discuss when it comes to grief and loss and even these steady, slow losses. I, I agree with you 100%. And I, I think that oftentimes uh, not talking about things almost means that it isn't really there. And yet talking about things is, is a personal choice for the person who is suffering. And in some ways we want to give them that choice 
all the way to the end if that's the way they choose to be. But it would be helpful to know that it is deliberate as opposed to not to being surprised as you right. say you were because that's that's I think every family has dealt with this in one way or another. So it, it's difficult to talk about. But we're going on a quick break. We'll be back in just a few seconds. And we're talking today about the pain of gradual loss and grieving and the steps we go through. Don't go away. We'll be right back. We're Wise Health for Women Radio, and we'll return after these short messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Can muscle turn into fat? It sure looks like it can, but the reality is it can't. When you have tight and defined muscles and you quit working out with weights or exercising at all in some cases, it seems like your hard muscle turns to flab. Remember, muscle and fat are two different entities, and one cannot turn into another. What happens is when you stop exercising, your muscle fibers grow smaller, while your fat cells grow larger. With exercise, your muscles make the fibers grow, and when you stop exercising, they reduce in size. Likewise, your body's fat cells can change in size depending on how much fat each one stores. So keep your body fit, healthy, and strong. Keep up your exercise, and don't let conditioned muscles become flabby. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Welcome back. I think that one of the things that we talk about when we're on breaks and things are, are our personal experiences and how we perceive it when other people either isolate or um, choose to be stoic or flippant, as you mentioned your friend to do. And I think we try and honor what people want to do very much so. And yet sometimes it feels very, very helpless to not be able to help when you know that there are solutions, but that there would have to be acknowledgement that there is indeed a disease to talk about. And in the case of dementia or Alzheimer's, I think that that is a classic one where people don't want to acknowledge that it is happening. No, no, it's just age or forgetfulness or we're fine. And and then when you know that it is not fine and you're still not allowed to help, that's a sorrow as opposed to mourning. Does that make sense? I agree. I think that 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 sense of helplessness Mm -hmm. is just unbearable for most people. Um, If you look at suicide, that's one of the top themes when it comes to things that people have referenced um, when they feel suicidal. So that's definitely a contributing factor when you're looking at you know, just sorrow and depression and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And I think there are a lot of type A personalities in the world and we want to fix, we want to address, we want to do something. So we want to help. Right. And, and, and these situations are already somewhat 
helpless situations mm-hmm. in a lot of ways because there may not be practical or actionable things that can be done in certain situations. But then also feeling as though that individual has taken what little sense of control again from you yes. um, can be even more overwhelming because then it's like, so I just sit here. <laughs> you know. Well, um, in many ways, uh, you can only do what you're permitted to do. Right. You said something very important, I thought, earlier, where you said that your friend, was she listening to the doctors? Was she rebuffing it? Did she hear it? And I think one of the things that I, I work with caregivers all the time, and one of the things we always um, promote is that there's another set of ears that isn't as closely connected mm. so that one person can be taking notes and listening in a, I'll call it a more objective way because you're obviously close if you're there, right. but you're not as close because it it is sometimes shocking to get all of this news and to understand what to do with it. And that's one thing is that hearing the news with with a second person or a second opinion or just another set of ears. But there's also a problem in very, very serious illness with physicians not Mm -hmm. wanting to give no hope, not being able to say, it's a fine line, do you give uh, a, a prognosis that is so dire in order to prepare the family? Or do you allow them to come to that on their own level and not say things? And so all sorts of other big efforts are taken as opposed to palliative care. And it's a tough question because I know many doctors who've told me, you know, I, I have to do what I think the family wants to hear. And I'm not always sure that it is what they want to hear. Or in some cases, they know they will not accept a prognosis. And usually the family member, not the person with the problem, will simply not accept it. And so physical therapy will go on and on and on. Um, the drugs will go on and on and on. Um, a DNR will be rescinded. Mm. And, I mean, these things are real. And I know people to whom they've happened. And you, there is very little control over how you receive news. And, and we're never going to solve that on this radio show. We're just <laughs> simply going to say that this is what happens. And it's not that unusual. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. And I think that you have so many different people in in different situations and you don't necessarily know those relationships and mm-hmm. you could even have distant relationships who find out that someone is ill and then show up and change the dynamic of of that situation drastically based mm-hmm. on how they handle it so i think that you're looking at you know a physical diagnosis you're looking at a capability like cognitively to understand mm-hmm. what's been said because I have witnessed where physicians don't necessarily communicate in plain language so that everyone can understand. <laughs> exactly. And I have seen people nod their heads and act as though they know what's being told to them when they don't know what's being said, but they are embarrassed by it and won't acknowledge that. So you have that component and then you have the emotional component, which is just, you know, (laughs) you never know what you're walking into because 
these are already highly emotional situations. Mm-hmm. And when you're put in face to face with the, the concept of losing this individual, we don't always know how we are going to react or who we are going to be in those moments. And unfortunately, I feel like grief does not make us better us. <laughs> no, it doesn't bring out the good in people sometimes. No, it doesn't. And I have witnessed um, deteriorations of relationships over and over. And I hate to say it, that to me, it always comes down to one of two things. Either these situations brings families closer together mm-hmm. and they realize the importance of, of being there and loving one another and trying to hang on to those moments that we have, or it tears us apart. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately that happens way more often than I wish that I had seen in my lifetime. But some of that is, again, I think communication because mm-hmm. In certain situations, do we give people the right information ahead of time? Um, I know that many of the losses that I've endured in my lifetime, these individuals were very young Mm -hmm. considering, Mm -hmm. and no one knew what their wishes were and do things according to what we thought was what they wanted. Well, that's the interesting point. When you have gradual loss, it does give you the opportunity to talk about your wishes. But there are extra layers to that. Right. So if you change, for example, who is the medical power of attorney, I was unaware until recently that the person who has the power of attorney can rescind a DNR order. Mm. And that isn't what you know that the person's wishes are. And so you're, you're stuck with sometimes family dynamics where you know what the person's wishes are, but the person who's been given the POA doesn't have the same wishes. Right. And so I, I would urge people to be extremely open about talking about what are your wishes? What, what do you want? Um, in many ways, it opens up conversations that you really never thought you'd have. And then I also urge people to write it down because if it's not written down, it doesn't count. Right. And so writing things down it, and, and making sure wishes are known is a tough conversation, but it, it can be very interesting and revealing and important, very important. I want to bring up one thing that I think is prevalent in all of these losses and I think drives a lot of people to be not their best, and that is fear, fear that it could happen to them, fear that it is happening to the other person, and also judgment because it might not be what you would do in that situation. So fear and judgment, they're scary things. They definitely are. And I think that those are to me, very based human emotions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that those are driving factors when we become those people that we don't necessarily want to be, but you know, that, that judgment alone, um, that can lead us to make a lot of assumptions that aren't, Mm-hmm. based in any kind of reality. You know, it's a perception of, of what's going on. And I see this and I assume this and then I do this because of that. And that can 
lead us to have communication issues and that can lead us to have huge problems Mm -hmm. because of that lack of communication Mm -hmm. and then fear um, that, uh, you know, in some situations I've seen that isolate so many people because there's almost a paranoia attached in some, some ways of, well, you know, who can I discuss this with or what are the reasons behind why they're doing this? And, you know, there's so many, um, inquiries into motivation in a lot of ways. And I think that that's the difficulty. And too, in some of these gradual losses, we're talking about, again, that loss of cognitive ability for someone. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. even if you know you have a year or months before the loss happens, you may still not have had that communication or that Mm -hmm. written information about what their wishes are Mm -hmm. and how are you going to do that now? And their day to day is very different and they may not recognize you anymore. Um, I've seen that I had, um, my Mm -hmm. great grandmother had Alzheimer's and my grandmother had um, been taking care of her and she became very hostile um, in a lot of ways and almost childlike from one minute to hostile the next. And I was mm-hmm. very young to mm-hmm. witness it. And it was terrifying, I'll say, um, because was that wasn't the one that I had. At that age. Right. Yes, it was. And I was thinking, this is what I have to look forward to in life. <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> you know, um, I hate to say that, but at that age, you know, this is my life experience. And I unfortunately was surrounded by a lot of loss. I haven't realized that. <laughs> well, that, that's why we're talking about it, because I, I think it helps us all to talk about these losses, because I don't think we realize we are all surrounded. I'm sure everyone listening is thinking, oh, yeah, well, I lost this person and I was concerned about that person. Um, it's it's really prevalent. It's part of life. I mean, we understand that, but it is not it is not an easy part of life. And as you said, it doesn't bring out the best in people and family dynamics. Um, there's, there's the dark humor. There's no humor at all. There's the isolation, <laughs> you know, there's all kinds of responses to things. And, and yet we really all want to be supportive. And I, I think the one thing that I have taken, you know, as, as the years have gone by and I've lost people, is that I believe people are doing the very best that they can. The very best that they can at the time. And they're coping the best way they know how. Even if I don't happen to agree with it or say to myself, well, that's not what I would do. I have to believe that they're doing the best they can. And, and I find that that reset button helps me to be more compassionate and nurturing and non-judgmental. Because who wants to be judged in your last times? Right. And I think, too, that reset is, that's a reality check that we should take with some other moments as well. Because I think too often we take things more personally than what they may necessarily. Absolutely. We've got a quick break coming up. We'll be right back. Don't go away. We're Wise Health for Women Radio, and we'll return after these short messages. 
was growing up in Wisconsin, no matter how frigid it was outside, my Uncle Bob never seemed to get cold. He would come in from the snow wearing a t-shirt and remark how fresh it was outside. Then again, folks from Wisconsin are a pretty hardy bunch. As America's official dairy state, the cows have been known to give ice cream instead of milk when the temperatures drop. What's a word for a giant snowball that is formed by rolling a smaller one through a field of snow? Hog-a-ma-dog. Megla is an old Scots word meaning to trudge laboriously through the snow. And mufflements is an old Lancashire word for thick, warm, insulating clothes and gloves. Don't forget that you shouldn't try and send text messages if you're standing out in the cold. It can lead to hypothermia. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. When it comes to losing weight, there is nothing better than to see the numbers on the scale get lower and lower. But what happens if you hit a plateau? All of a sudden, you're not losing weight like you were before, and it feels like everything has stalled. Weight Watchers offers tips to plow through your plateau and to get back on the weight loss trail. First of all, increase your physical activity. Exercise more and watch the weight drop off. Another way to tip the scales in the correct direction is to eat right and write it down. Record everything that you eat. Cheating here and there doesn't work, so be meticulous to follow the plan exactly. Strengthen your resolve to lose that weight and go after it full force. You will not be disappointed. I'm Annette Hammond. If you're a fan of Fitness Minute, like us on Facebook at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. Welcome back. Um, on the break, we were talking about the fact that oftentimes there is a dividing line with people who have chronic illness and those who love them. There's a dividing line between the past or pre-diagnosis and then the future. And oftentimes you're so busy dealing with what are the next steps? What can I do to help? Um, you're, you're you're, you see what the illness has taken from someone or the things they've had to relinquish. In other words, there's no going back to the past, but the future is uncertain. And so we can stay tied in the present, taking the steps that we can. But oftentimes there isn't a lot of grieving. And it becomes this drawn-out process of multiple and repetitive blows and and that's very sad and it's very difficult i know i've dealt with it and you you only realize later that you mourn slowly and over a long period of time and you've had experience with this too i have and i've seen it in others and i i think that everyone processes differently um some much slower than than others Mm -hmm. some refuse and for those who do that I've seen that have refused to accept that grief, they are still stuck mm-hmm. in that loss. And I have witnessed people who, if you bring up certain people, they will stand up and walk out of the room. Mm-hmm. I've seen others who, if you mention that individual, they still have a falling apart even years later. And that's not to say that that's not acceptable, but in some, at some point, it becomes a very unhealthy state 
to remain in. And unfortunately, we will experience loss in in Mm -hmm. many different forms throughout our lifetimes. But that refusal to process and that refusal to really grieve, um, it it keeps us unhealthy. And so much information is being done and research is, is, is being done in this field. And people are saying, if we refuse to grieve, if we don't grieve, at some point we have built up compounded stress in a way. Right. And at what point do we break apart from that stress, from the weight of that stress? So I think that processing, again, it looks different, but you have to be actively doing that in whatever way. And it's not necessarily, I'm going to sit down and write down a to-do list of, of grieving, right? Right. Um, but at the same time, that that is something that you have to acknowledge. And I know for me that sometimes means just falling apart. <laughs> and there's During. nothing wrong with that yes. at all, because I think we, we can only handle so much. We all have limits. Right. And if we don't grieve or, or we're living with perpetual grief, it, it, it just becomes even more insurmountable for some people. I, I often think that we take our cues from those who are ill and you know some are just so amazingly calm i won't say accepting cuz i don't think anyone ever truly accepts what's going on until the very bitter end but there are those who do um carry their illness with less fear than some who don't and you know i i have a couple of theories on that um which is why I try to address a lot of my fears with writing things out. Because if, if you're fearing things, if you write them out, it tends to take the power out of them. And, and I, that works for me. But those who are ill may be fearing pain, what comes next, disability, um, a recurrence in the case of cancer, death itself, and, and leaving others behind. And yet we've all heard stories where someone has left, um, you know, gifts or letters or, or things because they were cognitively well till the end. They could do those things. Others do not have that opportunity because their cognitive abilities are what goes first. So it's tough. And, and I think that being able to, you talked about communication earlier and I'll go back to it. Being able to communicate is a gift with gradual loss. For example, I, with my mother's dying, I took the opportunity and I, I, I wouldn't know what that letter looks like now. I don't think I even kept a copy, but I wrote her a long letter, but all the things I was cherished and loved and and that I learned from her. And I learned a lot. All the valuable things in life were from my mom. I, of course, learned things from my father as well and continue to this day. But there's something about a mom for me that I was able to write her while she was still cognitively aware to tell her how much I appreciated her. And that doesn't happen often. And I'm grateful that I did it because I, I don't have regrets about, oh, I didn't say this and I didn't say that because I was able to say it. 
So versus sudden loss, that's a gift. And I am always forever grateful that I had that opportunity. And that's a beautiful gift. I think that there are so many instances where we have so much regret in whatever situation. Mm -hmm. And there are those situations where you know because of that relationship that that individual knew that, that you love them. Mm-hmm. But, um, for me, for example, when my best friend died, um, we just didn't hug all the time. And, uh, it was kind of a joke between us at, at some point in our relationship, kind of like, Ooh, don't touch me, you know, and <laughs> towards the end, I, I, I didn't want to, I guess, make it a reality. I felt as though if I hugged her, that that would be both of us acknowledging what was happening. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to weaken her resolve. And I look back and think I, I should have just stopped playing that game because at, at some point we knew what was happening. But in but that, this is the mature Susie versus right. the younger Susie. <laughs> I, I think we get wiser over time. But you did the best you could. You were honoring her wishes. Right. Well, and again, I mean, I had other friends hugging her and we kind of made a joke about it. And, <laughs> but I also knew that if I did that, I would just fall apart in front of her. And I didn't want to do that. Um, I'm, I'm that friend that I need we'll to be do that strong in the corner by myself. Yes. Right. <laughs> because if they see me fall apart, then everyone else will too. And I can't, I can't carry that weight. So I think in that situation, being able to have that time so many times we can look back and say I wish I could have said this or I wish Mm -hmm. I could have done that and those opportunities are much fewer and farther between oh yes um to have that opportunity to do that so I, I think the reality is when we look at it we have to in incorporate those moments in our relationships in the present um, because, you know, your, your ability to sit down and write that to your mother, which I can't imagine. I balled my way through the whole thing. I, I, you know, I had a, a, a nine month old infant. I, you know, she passed away when my child was 11 months old, mm. you know, and I, I had no sleep. I can only imagine what that letter said now <laughs> looking back, but she was so gracious. We both cried. We, we, we both cried, but being able to acknowledge what someone has given you, you know, sometimes you don't get that chance. Many times, most times right. you don't get that chance. And so to me, it was extraordinarily precious to do that. But I recognize that most people don't have that opportunity. And, and let's face it, those grieving may not receive it the way my very gracious mother did. And, you know, some people just become anxious or they avoid or mm-hmm. depressed or overwhelmed or extreme anger. And so you, you have to, you have to tailor the conversation and communication to the person. Right. And do the best you can. Again, you were not perfect beings. And well, I think too, Right. No, well, no one is perfect, but I think to knowing those times that it's acceptable, I had a moment with my grandmother where we were by ourselves and that was our chance. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think in certain situations, it it depends on the, again, those relationships and who's present and 
communicating at times, you know, I'm sorry, this is, I I didn't mean that towards you. This is how I'm processing. I'm trying Mm -hmm. to communicate to you what's going on inside of me. And I think we, we underestimate our ability to communicate that, make it awkward if we have to, and just say, I don't know what I'm doing in this and I'm trying the best that I can. Um, there was a moment last year where I looked at one of my sisters and said, I just don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And I just don't want anyone else because I'm so terrified of that. Mm-hmm. And it was absolutely vulnerable. And she looked at me and she said, no one is mad at you about anything. And I thought that's what I needed to hear. I needed right. to be reassured, but to say those words and as well. So I think sometimes we let ourselves be overwhelmed and blown up. <laughs> the, the, the hard part is that you, you are overwhelmed and, and we, we try and be so strong, but it's not always possible to be strong. And it, it is sometimes in those moments where we have given in to how we truly feel that we are our most authentic selves. I was given an opportunity with someone who's been a long part of my life and I'd been waiting for an opportunity to let them know that everything was fine. It had not been fine years before, but that everything was fine. And I was given that opportunity. And I think it's interesting if you want to make peace with someone, look for those opportunities because you might get it, you might not, but I'm really grateful that I passed the awkward moment Mm -hmm. and went and gave a hug and said kind words and gave forgiveness and forgiveness for a lot of things. And so I think that those moments are so precious. And we, again, we don't get them. You have to put yourself out there. And that's not easy for a lot of people to do. We're going on our last break and we will come back talking about the pain of gradual loss. Stay with us. We're Wise Health for Women Radio, and we'll return after these short messages. It's A few years ago, some fishermen off the coast of Italy discovered some pottery along with fish in their nets. Divers were called out and discovered an ancient Roman ship whose galley, or caboose, a nautical term for kitchen, was extremely intact. Some of the food uncovered on board was pickled fish, wine, oil, and grain used to make the ship's biscuits, otherwise known as dandy funks. It is thought the 2,000-year-old boat was probably on its way to Spain when it sunk and was covered by layers of mud, baggy wrinkles and all. Baggy wrinkles are another name for the ship's ropes. The mud protected the ship from wear, explaining why the leftover food on board was still in such good condition. We land lovers may not be familiar with leftovers on the sea, but we are familiar with leftovers in our kitchen. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond. With our busy lives, it's so easy to skip breakfast. For me, breakfast is my least favorite meal of the day. And if I didn't know better, I would omit it, but I don't. Eat This, Not That reports that studies show that people who take time for a morning meal 
consume fewer calories over the course of the day, have stronger cognitive skills, and are 30% less likely to be overweight or obese. On top of that, people who skip breakfast are more likely to drink alcohol and smoke, and they're less likely to exercise. The key is to choose a breakfast that works for you and not against you. Select low-fat yogurt, oatmeal, whole grain cereal with skim milk, or a fresh apple with almond butter. Choose a healthy breakfast and don't forget to exercise. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Welcome back. We are going to open the door to talking about the fact that you know, in chronic illness, there does come a time where it has either become more acute or the the end is coming. And you have many options these days. And the, the palliative care part um, can be a really poignant time to spend with people. There are gratitude for the small things. So in someone with dementia, the lucid periods where if you're there, you actually can have a conversation. Uh, you're, you're grateful for the smallest of glimmers of that person again. And your presence, your visits, even things like remembering music and touch are so important to help the other person. But they help you as well. Because I think we all feel better when we can do something or be somewhere or to be purposeful or to have a role in some way. And it isn't about us, but it is about our helplessness and wanting to make it better for the family, uh, for the person themselves. And, and in our own case, I know that watching several of my family members, I, I believe, I don't know that I can do this, but I, I believe that I will behave a certain way someday if I'm cognitively able so as not to cause the sadness that I do see from some of these other situations. So in other words, grieving teaches us things along the way, just as every other life experience. It's not a fun one. It's not things we'd like to learn, but it is very important to learn. I think so. But, you know, I think, too, that we have to be open to that lesson. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, Not everyone is capable of that for whatever reason. So Mm -hmm. that's the difficulty is taking something so in many ways traumatic and trying to find meaning in it, whatever that meaning might look like for that individual. Mm -hmm. For some people that's, you know, taking it and teaching others. Um, For others, it's just not doing that again or not going through that again. Mm -hmm. But I think you're very right that, um, trying to look for that lesson within that situation and learn from it is so vital in that process of healing um, and grieving even. And I think too, that that's part of why I was so interested in this, doing this podcast with you because experiences, not just our own, but those of others can be very educating (laughs) and there are so many ways for us to learn from the lessons that others have had to experience if we're open to hearing what they have to say. And if we're open to what it is that, that, that affected them 
you know, and I think that that was one of the things that I was really uh, interested in is there are so few people having these conversations around right. and they're necessary. They're needed. They're, this is a part of, of every single day for someone in the world. And yet when do we discuss this and how do we discuss it? Mm-hmm. So I think part of that is having that permission to, to look into these topics and these issues and say that this is an acceptable conversation and how do we move through that? How do we, you know, looking at palliative care, mm-hmm. it's changed so much. It sure has. So when you're new to it in this time frame versus a few years ago, are you going to have those same types of experiences and what types of questions should you ask and what should you be expecting? And there's so many things within that, that is overwhelming in the midst of it. Um, so this is a safer space to have those conversations and to acknowledge the fact that there are things that are helpful mm-hmm. um, for that. You have had experiences in that the questions that arose that others could benefit from. I think one of the things that has always struck me is that you want to honor the person just as everybody's life is unique. Everybody's passing is also unique. And so if you're in a gradual situation, you know, the chronic injury or illness, what they now call infinite losses, because you have so many small losses along the way, honoring the person's wishes, even if it's not what you want is a conversation that is valuable to have. And it is not easy to do that. Palliative care, as you mentioned, has changed. And, you know, hospice now can be called in very early on for supportive help. And I personally think hospice volunteers are angels on this earth. And, and they're the calmest, kindest, people who somehow are put on this earth to shepherd you through and i i find them amazing and yet so to some people if they say yes to hospice that means they're giving up and that's it's a personal perception i'm not going to tell someone not to feel that but it is a tough decision um, because a family is usually going through a great deal trying to keep people home if they're if it's possible, and at facilities, if it's not. But perpetual grief will really take you down the road of depression and sadness and sorrow. And a lot of people feel that they cannot grieve during. They have to pay attention right now, not grieve. And yet small grieving of the steps along the way can help you with the sequence if you're open to it, you you made a very large statement when you say that, if you're open to it, because sometimes people are not. And I've known people who say, no way, you're not doing that. You're going to keep on keeping on. We're going to keep giving you this med. We're going to keep going to this doctor. We're going to keep doing these things. And yet, who's that helping? And yet, it's not up to me to judge. I think you've made a couple of really good points when you talk about support, though. Earlier, you mentioned that in those situations, sometimes it's so helpful to have someone who's not as close looking Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what that individual is there for. That individual is, is not as close. And that doesn't mean that they aren't human and they don't have compassion or empathy. It simply means that that's not their mother or sister mm-hmm. or whoever it is. Mm-hmm. Because of that, they can be a little bit more removed from the situation. So they aren't as emotionally driven and are more present and cognitively, you know, invested in what's going on. Mm-hmm. But I also had a conversation uh, with one of my sisters about the ability to accept help when help Mm -hmm. is all. Right. And some of us are very bad at that. (laughs) Um, I'm not going to say me, but but I think, too, that in those situations, you do feel helpless. And then having someone else come in who has this role that may, in some ways, take some of that responsibility that you already felt you didn't really have any hands on off of you could be even more of a helpless feeling. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, they are trained. They are there. They are there to support you. They are there to unfortunately allow you that space to process and begin grieving and offer support to that individual. So I think it's in how you look at it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, again, that in those emotional states, we aren't necessarily looking at it in those ways. But, you know, what you said was very, I feel, uh, hitting the nail on the head that, you know, it's good to have that extra set of eyes Mm -hmm. that's there for support and can offer some input because again, if we aren't communicating or if we aren't fully aware of what's being communicated to us, we miss things. And to be a hundred percent frank, no one remembers everything during these points. Of course, no one is 100% uh, present in these situations and we do miss things point blank. That's, that's all there is to it. We are not fully at, at, at our best mentally in these situations. So that person is there to ensure that we understand what's going on or that those medications or, you know, whatever it is are not mm-hmm. missed because you may think that you're on top of it. Um, but I can guarantee you that no one is on top of it in these types of situations. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. And the, the shock and the numb, um, just as in sudden loss happens many smaller ways with gradual loss and listening and hearing and paying attention to all of these things becomes very difficult. Susie, I want people to know where they can find out more information about you and which URL would you like to give them? Um, they can go to my website. It's uh, org, and that's Reese with a C because these are cool. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard you say that before. Okay. R-E-E-C-E dot com or dot org. Yes. Perfect. And you're also known on Facebook as the Southern Fried Asian. Don't forget the the, because there's there's others out there. So she's one and only, trust me. <laughs> so it's, it's true. Well, I, I really do appreciate your willingness to talk about these kinds of things. It's helpful to me to voice these things as well, because I think every family has gone through this or will go through this. And 
we share our life experiences with others in a way that is non-threatening, but we're just telling it like it is in our experience, knowing that everybody's experience is unique. Would you like to add anything? I think that that's the point. There is only so much that we can do and say, but each experience is different. Even for that individual, you can only be so prepared when it comes to these things. But having that conversation is definitely the first step. And I would say the second step is to always proffer kindness and accept that people are doing the best that they can. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Be aware that this is a rough time, but be kind and also be kind to yourself. I I find that so many people are kind to others, but they're so brutal on themselves. So be kind to yourself. Know that this is a difficult period in life. We will all face this, but there are, are ways to be kind and warm and compassionate and nurturing and grace, gracious. I always love any word that starts with the word grace. And with that, we will see you another time. We're going to continue our series on grief and loss. Thank you for joining us. And we'll be back next time with another show on an aspect of grief and loss. Thank you for tuning in today. You can find more shows at wisehealthforwomenradio.com.